4.8 million people were hired in June, but there's a pretty big caveat to that statistic. Vanilla Ice is planning on performing at a 4th of July concert in Austin despite the surge in coronavirus cases there. And hundreds of companies have hit pause on their Facebook ads. We're talking with New York Times cybersecurity reporter Shira Frankel to learn all about the boycott. The date, July 2nd, 2020. The time, News O'Clock. Hey friends, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to News O'Clock. So it's been a short week, but we've had some really fascinating guests and conversations. And two of them in particular really sparked some debates out there. And we've got some listener emails that we'd love to share with you. On Tuesday, we talked with screenwriter Alana Bennett about the TV shows pulling episodes that use blackface. And listener DJ from New Jersey wrote to us to ask, what about Mickey Rooney's character in Breakfast at Tiffany's? She wrote, quote, I was a young girl when I saw this movie. I'd seen all the iconic Audrey Hepburn pictures and couldn't wait to finally dig into what I heard was a dreamy, romantic movie. Then that caricature appeared, and I was mortified. I'm Asian American, by the way. Horrible. And then it turns out both the main characters are basically prostituting themselves to older, rich people. Yeah, the Mickey Rooney uh, fake Asian yellow face in that movie is particularly atrocious, even for a time when that was just how Asians were portrayed on screen. So I can see why she'd want to bring that up in this conversation. Yeah, definitely. I've actually never seen the movie. Um, but oh, it's bad. <laughs> no, but I haven't seen the movie. But all this to say, I already know of that uh, offensive stereotype. Like, I've heard of it. <laughs> right. So maybe this one does need a disclaimer, like we were talking about with Alana, to mm, actually yeah. have at the beginning of it. By the way, this has a very offensive caricature that was deemed fine at the time, but very much is not. Yeah. If Looney Tunes is going to have it, why not Breakfast at Tiffany's? And uh, yesterday's episode with epidemiologist Julia Marcus led some really passionate responses in our inbox, like this one from Precious Nicole from Smyrna, Georgia, who wrote that people who don't wear masks, quote, are insensitive, selfish, and don't belong in society, to be honest. We all should do what we can, especially at a time like this. And for those who can't even do the bare minimum, it's ridiculous. She signed the email, Angry Mom. Yeah, I mean, I'd be angry too. It's it's wild to be walking around when you have a mask on and other people don't have one on and you're just like, hey, can't we just all protect each other right now? Right, but I going back to what Julia said yesterday, that absence-only approach probably can and probably will backfire. So I don't really know what to tell people like uh, Precious Nicole who are really upset when they see people on the streets and don't know what to do about it. That's something that we're going to be pondering for a long time, I think, unfortunately. But with that, it's time for today's top stories. Here's what's leading the news as we head into the long weekend. First up, June's job numbers were stronger than expected, but that comes with some really big caveats. The monthly jobs report released this week showed that 4.8 million people gained employment in June. That's almost 2 million more than economists predicted. The unemployment rate also dropped to 11.4%. That all sounds great, but, and it's a big but, most of those jobs are likely staffers at restaurants, for example, who were temporarily laid off during the previous height of the pandemic. So now that states have been rolling back their decision to let restaurants reopen, that could change. Not one to let short-term gain go to waste, though. President Trump touted the jobs numbers at a quick press conference today, where he again indicated that the disease was on the wane. We've done a historic thing. We would have lost millions of lives. And now we're opening it up, and it's opening up far faster than anybody thought even possible and more successfully. 
counter to that optimism, the U.S. saw 50,000 new COVID-19 cases reported yesterday, making it yet another record-breaking day. Next up, emails show that a Texas megachurch knew about a coronavirus outbreak in its choir and orchestra, but still had them perform without masks for the vice president. The musicians of the First Baptist Church in Dallas spent weeks rehearsing for Vice President Mike Pence's visit via Zoom before finally meeting in person. But emails and Facebook pages reviewed by BuzzFeed News show that soon after the choir and orchestra began practicing in person, at least five people came down with coronavirus. And in an email from June 10th, the morning of the first in-person rehearsal, the choir director made clear that masks would not be worn while singing. That director has since then tested positive for the coronavirus. It's unclear which members of the choir had been exposed to those who had tested positive when Pence was at First Baptist Dallas on Sunday. It's been shown, though, that singing can spread coronavirus's particles extremely effectively. And finally, the FBI has arrested Ghislaine Maxwell, the former girlfriend of the late Jeffrey Epstein. Maxwell is a British socialite and heiress who has long been suspected of luring young girls, including one who is only 14 years old, into Epstein's orbit before he allegedly sexually assaulted them. The federal indictment unsealed today charges her with enticement and conspiracy to entice minors to travel to engage in illegal sex acts, transportation and conspiracy to transport minors with intent to engage in criminal sexual activity, and two counts of perjury. Maxwell was once extremely well-connected and is known to have introduced Epstein to some of her high-profile friends, like former President Bill Clinton and Prince Andrew, the Duke of York. Since Epstein's death in prison in August 2019, Maxwell's whereabouts have been mostly unknown, even as she's been named in several lawsuits from Epstein's alleged victims. But today, she was arrested without incident in New Hampshire. Okay, to your second story, can we talk about if we know that sneezing and coughing spreads coronavirus. I'm going to go ahead and say we know that singing spreads it too. Absolutely. To the to that point, the CDC even did a study of one of the earliest coronavirus outbreaks in the United States was when a group of uh, people who were singing in a church choir were gathered around rehearsing. It spread very quickly and studies since then have shown that, yeah, those droplets, when you are projecting and singing from the diaphragm, like all choir kids and choir people know how to do, uh, you are definitely spreading your droplets further afield. So even though the White House is saying that the vice president was a safe distance away, that he was social distancing, that he was wearing a mask at times, there's still a chance that someone in that audience did have coronavirus, but just was asymptomatic at the time. Definitely. I mean, it sounds like the chances are high. And do we know if there can be any like repercussions for this megachurch? Because it seems like they acted quite irresponsibly. That's a great question. I'm honestly unsure about that, especially given the fact that Texas uh, is in the middle of rolling back some of its uh, coronavirus uh, relaxations, I suppose we can call them at this point. They were in the process of opening back up. But with the spike of cases there, they've been locking certain businesses back down. But Having said that, churches uh, hold a very special place in the administration's heart. And so even today, the president was pushing like, no, we want the churches open again. Okay, Hayes, Mm -hmm. well, speaking of Texas, I'm going to bring you to my stories for the day. So even though coronavirus cases are spiking in Texas, Vanilla Ice is still planning on holding a 4th of July concert there this weekend. The Independence Day Throwback Beach Party concert will be happening in Austin thanks to a loophole where the venue is technically a restaurant. Don't you love loopholes, Hayes? Absolutely. (laughs) Thousands of tickets are being sold for the concert with the $300 VIP tickets already sold out. 
The Travis County Health Department is warning people to maybe not attend with a spokesperson telling TMZ, quote, the best way to be nostalgic is by protecting your parents and grandparents and staying home. Mr. Ice, I am sorry for calling him Mr. Ice, (laughs) but I had to, is looking forward to it, though, and posted old concert footage on his Instagram earlier this week with the caption, I can't wait to get back to this. The 90s were the best. We didn't have coronavirus or cell phones or computers. We had 5.0s, Blockbuster, Beavis and Butthead, Wayne's World, Chris Tucker, and Jackie Chan. What a random collection of things to idolize about the 90s, first of all. Okay, he's, we still have Jackie Chan. (laughs) (laughs) Chris Tucker out there like, hey man, wait, wait, what about me? That's my my best Chris Tucker. I haven't watched any of his movies in years, so that's the best I can do. Thank you, I loved it. But I'm like, yes, it is such a random collection of things. And I'm like, we still have some of these. You can just go watch a Jackie Chan movie if you're feeling nostalgic. Let's not go and potentially infect all of these people. Right. And who? A couple of things there, too. Like, A, who is this desperate to see Vanilla Ice that they're going to see him in the middle of a pandemic? And B, uh, the $300 VIP tickets. What does that gain you? What Do you get to do a shot of vanilla vodka with vanilla ice for that price? I need to know. I hope that's it. I hope it's that in a photo op. Okay, well, on to my second story. Earlier this week, Kanye West congratulated Kim Kardashian West for becoming a billionaire. But uh, not so fast, Kim, says Forbes. <laughs> On Monday, Kim announced that she'd sold a 20% stake in her company, KKW Beauty, to cosmetics giant Coty for $200 million, which is definitely a lot of money. That same day, Kanye congratulated Kim on Twitter, posting a picture of some flowers and tomatoes. Please go look at the picture. And the caption, quote, I am so proud of my beautiful wife, Kim Kardashian West, for officially becoming a billionaire. You've weathered the craziest storms, and now God is shining on you and our family. But... Forbes magazine said that according to their estimates, Kim is not a billionaire, noting both that her mom, Kris Jenner, still owns 8% of the company and that she's worth only a paltry $900 million, which is the same amount that they now say that her sister, Kylie Jenner, is worth. Oh, is that all? Just $900 million. You're only $100 million short, Kimberly. But if you work really hard, someday you too can live the dream. It really seems, though, now that everyone in the Kardashian family, they're just like, we got to hit $1 billion. We got to hit it. And I'm like, OK, if I'm being like, I got to hit $1 billion, it's like so I can go donate it and help people, not get congratulated from my husband with a photo of tomatoes. Also, <laughs> the tomatoes photo. There's a tomatillo in there, too. If you look closely, it's just the most confusing thing. Maybe maybe it's a symbol of their love that we don't know about. Maybe Kanye early on in their relationship decided this tomato on this vine is a lot like you and me, Kim. (laughs) (laughs) And just went with it from there. That's my new headcanon. When we come back, we've got the New York Times Shira Frankel here to talk about the Facebook ad boycott. Stay right there. Fit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com/slash 2022. 
Raffi is the voice of some of the happiest songs of our generation. Baby Beluga. So who is the man behind Baby Beluga? Every human being wants to feel respected. When we start with young children, all good things can grow from there. I'm Chris Garcia, comedian, new dad, and host of Finding Raffi, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Fatherly. Listen every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The NFL playoffs are here, and the Super Bowl is right around the corner. You can follow the action like a fan, or you can prep like a scout if you listen to the award-winning Move the Six podcast. The show is hosted by me, Daniel Jeremiah, and my partner, Bucky Brooks. The two of us bring knowledge from careers as NFL talent scouts to the podcast world so fans can watch and understand the nuances of the game like never before. After the Super Bowl, it's draft season. If you want to go in-depth on this year's prospects and learn what makes the top players stand out, there's no better podcast than Move the Sticks. We'll break down film from the professional and college games so you can know which player to look out for when the football season returns next fall. You'll learn a ton about the NFL, and I promise we'll make it fun along the way. We'll have several new episodes dropping each week, and you don't want to miss a single one. Subscribe now and listen to the Move the Sticks podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. In the years since its inception, Facebook has transformed from just the place where you share pictures of your night out drinking to one of the biggest advertising companies in the world. But in the past couple of weeks, hundreds of brands, including giants such as Starbucks, Verizon, and Unilever, have started to pull their ads from the social media network. It's all part of a campaign to put pressure on Facebook to stop hate speech and misinformation on their site. Here to explain the boycott and Facebook's response is Shira Frankel, cybersecurity reporter for The New York Times. Good afternoon, Shira. Hey, guys. So how did this campaign to boycott Facebook ads start in the first place? And what are the ultimate goals? So we saw it start with some smaller companies, um, smaller being just in the tens of millions of dollars, not in the hundreds (laughs) of millions of dollars in ad spend. And it slowly grew. And I think that you saw this coalition kind of come together of outside groups, advocacy organizations that have been pressing Facebook to make changes for a long time and big sort of corporations that decided it was time to get on board. Some of the big names have been Pepsi, Unilever. Mm-hmm. Um, these are these are massive accounts. These are flagship accounts. Um, mm-hmm. Even just a handful of those kinds of names pulling out is is huge. They haven't articulated what their ultimate goal is. I don't think there's a bottom line that if Facebook does X, then the advertisers will return. But they want real change and they want substantive change. And what we know so far is that the small changes Facebook has made don't seem to be enough. Yeah, Facebook has been around with these same issues for a long time. So why now? I think this reached ahead in the last couple of weeks. I think a lot of people are talking about the kind of hate speech that continues to persist on Facebook and the banning. We saw just yesterday the banning of the Boogaloo groups, and that's just what that's when I when I refer to a small step, that's what I meant. That's just one group, but dozens of these other groups still persist. And banning, you know, groups that were under the banner of Boogaloo isn't the same as banning every single facet of their sort of reach on Facebook. And we're still seeing that happen. So I I think that, yes, I think we're in a moment right now where people want better of the social media companies. And I also think to to be, you know, a little cynical about this, this is a great time for advertisers to pull back money. Everybody's looking to cut, you know, where they can. And if you can save money on your ad budget and make a nice sort of statement, public statement at the same time, it's a win-win. Facebook makes most of its money from ads. So this is probably hitting them hard, right? Right. 
Do we have any idea how effective the campaign has been so far in terms of lost revenue? We don't. We don't know how much money they've lost. The, the corporations themselves haven't said how much money they would have spent on Facebook ads. Mm. And so we don't really have a sense of how much money is really at play here. We will, when Facebook announces their next quarterly earnings, mm. have a better idea of how this has affected their last quarter. I think that, you know, for Facebook, whose entire business is predicated on this idea that they have the most data out of any social media company, and therefore they can help advertisers reach you in an incredibly targeted and efficient way, this is this is the only way to hurt them. This is the only way to affect a company as massive as Facebook is at their bottom line. And what has Facebook's response been? Because we've seen in the past that even despite, you know, the Russia interference situation, uh, genocide in Myanmar, et cetera, that they haven't really responded much to outside pressure. Are they enacting any long-term changes because of this so far that you've seen? I mean, that's that's the real question, Hayes, like whether or not there's real substantive change and not just, oh, well, we've banned this group or that group. Well, look at this 50 Facebook pages that we've taken down. That's all baby steps as far as a company like Facebook is concerned. But are they going to actually put something in place, a mechanism in place, a team into place that makes sure that these kinds of, of, of groups that hate speech, that racist groups, that, that groups looking to sow divisions along racial lines in America cannot form movements on Facebook anymore? That's, that's, a, that's a real question. So far, we've just seen Facebook retroactively after the fact going and taking things down once they're given to them by reporters. I think BuzzFeed had a great report about ads that the, that the balloon was able to place on Facebook. I mean, that's that's a red flag. It's not just we have Facebook groups and pages. It's we're actually buying ads on Facebook to promote a you know a racist movement. Um, Facebook needs to show that they're proactively going after these kinds of things, removing them before they manage to get a foothold on the platform, and putting mechanisms into place that so that people don't open their Facebook feed and then see this stuff really prominently displayed in their newsfeed. So now that we have you know this economic pressure on Facebook too, what do you think? Does that make the odds of any sort of regulation about hate speech on Facebook more likely? Or not so much. Uh, I think the only thing that that ups the odds of actual substantive regulation on Facebook happening is the results of the 2020 elections. I think right now we've seen a Congress that um, is unable to pass even basic legislation, let alone something as complicated as a regulation on a social media company. Um, and depending on what happens in 2020, yes, there could be real, you know, real regulations coming down. I think Facebook has such a powerful lobbying arm in Washington that whatever regulation does happen will have their say in it. Um, I, I'm not, I, I don't think this will happen in a, in a vacuum. I think Facebook will play a major role in helping shape the regulations against them. Um, but if, yes, if the Democrats come in, I do think there's going to be more sort of significant regulations coming down. So how does this all affect the average Facebook user? Uh, well, I mean, if you're like me, you go on Facebook and you've got two versions of Facebook. You've got, you know, people that you talk to regularly, maybe recent friends. And then you've got your uh, crazy uncle and aunt that share, you know, conspiracy theories about the world being flat. And, um, you know, I, I've got family members that regularly share anti-vaxxer um, material on Facebook. And I think the way that would affect at least someone like me who has a range of, of people in my Facebook feed is that the stuff that's more on the fringes of, I think, common health beliefs like anti-vaxxer ideas um, would be limited, would be downplayed, would not be something that I saw at the top of my Facebook feed when I logged in because it had, you know, 100 types of engagement on it, um, likes and shares and whatever. And I think you would see that type of 
of material on your Facebook feed with some kind of warning prominently displayed of this is not a widespread idea. And we don't think that a, that a coronavirus vaccine will cause X, Y, and Z side effect, which is something I've recently seen in the last couple of days. So we're seeing this at Facebook right now, and uh, we've seen some of this hit Twitter too. Do you think that these kind of boycotts for advertisers, is going to spread to other social media platforms too? I think if they want to be effective, they have to, because we, we talk a lot about Facebook just because they're the largest, right? They're, they're the Catholic church of online tech companies. They reach more people than the Catholic church. But if these advertisers really want to be effective in making sure that these groups don't persist online and don't really grow their movement online, then they have to be reaching out to Twitter, to YouTube, to Reddit, to all these other companies. Because when a group like, uh, just to give an example of anti-vax, because I think that's one that's been around for a while, when they grow online, they don't grow just on Facebook. They have, um, you know, implants is kind of how I think of them that refer to one another. So you join a Facebook group and then you get sent over to YouTube where you watch some of their videos and then maybe you're pushed into their Discord channel and maybe you're, you know, you then become one of their activists on Twitter tweeting things at certain times of the day to try to promote a hashtag. It, it's all interconnected. And if we want to see real change, the change has to happen on every single platform. Well, Shira, thank you so much for joining us to bring that all down today. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. It's always great to join you guys. Tomorrow is July 3rd and a big day for theater nerds and history buffs everywhere. The hit musical Hamilton is coming to Disney Plus and I, for one, am ready to watch it a billion times. Much like everyone out there who has listened to the soundtrack roughly 10 billion times. Well, not everyone. We're joined for the first time today by Hiba, our fearless <laughs> producer who knows literally nothing about Hamilton. So Hiba, first up, how? How is this a thing? <laughs> Okay, first of all, uh, I want to say I can't believe I'm making my on-mic debut with this embarrassing information that I don't volunteer. In my defense, I was living in Wisconsin when the Hamilton craze was going on. I'm sure there was a way I could have eventually seen it, like, in Chicago or something. It just never happened. Uh I'm sorry. And you're not one of those people who's like, I'll just listen to the soundtrack and maybe one day see it. You're like, no, I need to see I, it I didn't for the even first listen time. to the soundtrack. I literally know nothing. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to play a quick game with you that we're calling Why Do You Lie Like You're Running Out of Time? Which is a reference to a lyric, Hibba. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're going to give you three facts about the show. One of them will be a lie. You have to guess which one. Do you think you've got this? I absolutely do not think I've got this, but I'm, I'm ready to go. Good enough. Okay, first up, please guess which of these is not a real song title from the show. Is it A, My Shot, B, The Room Where It Happened, or C, Burr's Murder? Oh, okay. Uh, I know The Room Where It Happened is one because I've like heard it referenced before. Um, I want to say... I want to say that my shot is not. Oh, I'm sorry. It is. It is one of the biggest, most popular numbers from the show. Great. That, in fact, Hippa, I, I'm sorry to do you like this, but it was even referenced in Slack earlier today. <laughs> I 
was like, I know Burr was uh, eventually murdered. No, is that true? Oh, oh, honey, no. no? Burr does okay, the murder. So, so Burr does the murder. Well, yeah, okay. Burr's murder it belongs to Burr. He murdered. Yes. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, uh-huh. I would genuinely love to hear Hibba's rendition of Burr's murder, the, ca- the iconic Hamilton song. Yes. <laughs> okay, now on to the second question. Which one of these is a lie? A, the musical is based on the autobiography of Alexander Hamilton. B, the first song from the show debuted at the White House. C, the show won the Tony for Best Musical and a Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Oh, God. Um, I'm going to say the first one, A. (gasps) Yay, Hippa! It was A. The show was based on a biography of Hamilton by historian Ron Chertow. And the first, yeah, so kind of a trick question. (laughs) And the first song absolutely did premiere at the White House during the Obama administration with this version of the opening number back in 2009. I totally guessed. I (laughs) good enough. Good enough. And also, I just want to point out really quickly in that uh, clip from the premiere, you can hear people laughing as it starts because uh, no one knew what was happening. No one (laughs) understood what they were hearing at the time. Okay, last question: Which one of these is the lie? A. There's a song in the show about Alexander Hamilton cheating on his wife. B. There's a song in the show that is a direct parody of Eminem's Lose Yourself. C. There's a song in the show where the King of England cheerily threatens to murder colonists' friends and families. Um, I'm going to go with B because that sounds so ridiculous. <laughs> you were correct. Yay! It was, in fact, B. There is no song based on Lose Yourself. But there is a song where, yep, Hamilton very much cheats on his wife called Say No to This. She led me to a bed, let her legs spread and say, Stay. Hey. Hey. That's when I began to pray, Lord, show me how to say no to this. I don't know how to say no to this. Yeah, I actually, I did, I did know that there is some scandal uh, in the show. Yeah, a lot of the second act actually deals with all of that and the fallout from it. So good job, Hibba. You got two thank out you. of three based on like oh zero knowledge. Yeah, thank you so much. This was fun. Um, Do you think and... you'll be watching the movie on this weekend? You know what? I think I will. This has uh, inspired me. Aw, nice. Well, if you want to join Hibba in your first viewing of the show, you can catch it on Disney Plus starting tomorrow, July 3rd. That's it for the week. That's right. We're taking tomorrow off for the holiday. We'll be back on Monday with the Washington Post, William Wan, talking about the opioid epidemic that's continued despite the pandemic. And remember, many of the founding fathers were part of a class of people that thought human beings could be owned and etched that idea into the heart of this country from the start. Hamilton is still a banger, though. News O'Clock is produced by Dan Bauza, Hibba Elorbani, Alan Haberchak, and Sierra Tall. Special thanks to Tracy Ayers, Mangash Hatikader, Samantha Hinnick, Patrick McMiniman, and Tommy Wesley. 
Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and especially a review. Those help us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And honestly, we really appreciate them whenever you take the time. Also, remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. Calling all partners. Losing weight is better together with Nutrisystem's partner plan. In fact, people who diet together lose 20% more weight than dieting on their own. Get new premium meals with up to 30 grams of protein. They're big and filling and taste delicious. Plus, try our new restaurant faves that taste like your favorite restaurant portioned with half the calories. Don't wait. You could win big cash during Nutrisystem's Better Together Partner Plan 100K giveaway. And maybe win the grand prize of $25,000. Just go to Nutrisystem.com slash right now and get 50% off plus an extra $50 off your first month. You heard me right. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash thin right now and get 50% off plus an extra $50 off. Don't wait. This partner plan offer will not last long. Just go to Nutrisystem.com slash thin right now and get 50% off plus an extra $50 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash thin. See website for details on our two-month subscription offer. No purchase necessary. Open only to U.S. residents over 21. Void where prohibited. Runs December 25 through April 4th, 2022. For official rules, visit Nutrisystem.com. Sponsored by I'm Colleen Witt. Join me, the host of Eating While Broke podcast, while I eat a meal created by self-made entrepreneurs, influencers, and celebrities over a meal they once ate when they were broke. Today, I have the lovely AJ Crimson, the official princess of Compton, Asia. Kidding, and Asia. This is The Professor. We're here on Eating While Broke, and today I'm going to break down my meal that got me through a time when I was broke. Listen to Eating While Broke on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What grows in the forest? Our imagination and our family bonds. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.